I'm still not sure which was worse, having measles or reading Lord of the Rings. It's Friday, April 8th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Crucifixion Survivor. <laughs> with me today is uh, Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and the BBC's newest Almere correspondent. Yes. Yeah, I th- I, you, you, you wrote uh, an excellent article on Almere, I saw. Uh, that wasn't me, and I'd oh, like to distance okay, myself from it. Uh, <laughs> I think we've both um, been involved in kind of uh, yeah, um, long, torturous uh, uh, experiences this week, uh, Paul. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could, you could say that. Yeah, because this article, <laughs> the BBC wrote an article uh, or published an article on yeah. Almere, and it has this weird celebratory. Um, yeah, sentences about Almere. But if you are Dutch and if you've ever been to Almere, then yeah. you know that this is utter and total bullshit. There's <laughs> nothing positive about Almere. But this article just drags on and drags on. It's it's yeah. it's, it's 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 very it's strange. It's kind of I very mean, starry-eyed account of how you know Almere was built from the sea. I, th- I think the Brits are always a bit kind of in awe of the way that uh, the, 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 the the Dutch have uh, built their landscape reclaimed from the sea, which is quite and you know a very admirable and. Uh, uh, yeah, quite amazing thing in a way. But this just goes. But when you actually see the reality of uh, what Almira looks like on the ground, yeah, it does kind of dampen your enthusiasm a little bit. Yeah, but this is yeah, a, but this is a very overblown kind of starry-eyed account, which sort of compares Almira to Atlantis. Which I thought <laughs> <Yeah>. was, <laughs> was if Atlantis was it. the ancient city, <laughs> myth says disappeared beneath the waves. Yeah. Almira is the modern repost, risen, risen from the sea. Yeah, it's um, yeah, a strange sentence uh, if yeah. you've ever been to 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 Almere because you know the 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 general attitude of of, a, of of the average Dutchman is that we should uh, yeah we should give Almere back to the ocean because <laughs> <laughs> it is just a failed attempt yeah. at, uh, at 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 everything yeah yeah it's kind of an intriguing so interesting experiment Almere is my kind of always Almere has become my kind of default answer for you know and anything to do with uh, you know, where we should where we should we locate something in the Netherlands like somebody said on Twitter the other couple of weeks ago like uh, if you had to if you if, if you used a Dutch city for Grand Theft Auto, what should it be? And I thought Almere, because you know yeah. the skill involved in going around those roundabouts while you're being chased by the police would be you know, is next level, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, Almere. If you yeah, you should go, you should look it up on Google Maps. It is a quite an unusual city to say the least. And uh, yeah, they have all these neighborhoods, and they uh, yeah, at some point they just ran out of, of, of street names. So yeah, they they started to name it after random things. So I, I believe there is a a, a cartoon. Um, a neighborhood. It has mm. streets like the Donald Duck Lane and uh, Mickey Mouse Street and uh, Lucky Luke uh, uh, um, um, Boulevard. I don't know. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's an experiment to say the least. Yes, yeah. it is. <clears throat> it's an ongoing experiment, and it yeah. has uh, had mixed results. Should we say it's kind of like yeah. a. Yeah. Uh, okay, but um, uh, but but uh, um, going back somewhat from uh, uh, these modern experiments, um, Paul, <laughs> you've, you had to endure um, the, the the traditional annual kind of uh, seasonal saga uh, this week. Uh, so, so tell us about that. Yeah, I I went to the Matthias Passion uh, this week. Uh, someone I know had a uh, spare ticket and asked me mm. to 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 join uh, to join him. And uh, yeah, it was quite an experience. Uh, it, it took very long. Uh, it is this three-hour, yeah, uh, uh, the, the story of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection put on music by Johann Sebastian Bach. I uh, didn't realize it was uh, completely in German, <laughs> but luckily I got a translation uh, uh, handed to me. Um, so yeah, I could read along, otherwise it would have been very difficult for me. Um, even yeah, more excruciating. Yeah. yeah, even more. Now it, it just, it's, it's beautiful music, music of course, but yeah. you know, three hours is just uh, a little bit too long. But uh, the Matthias Passion is, is very popular in the Netherlands. It's performed uh, yeah, on, on, on countless occasions. Uh, around uh, Eastern, um, so yeah, it was it was it was on my bucket list. I thought, yeah, I should, really should go there once, yeah. at least once. But I think I will uh, I will keep it at this one <laughs> once time. Once was enough. Yeah, yeah. I'm mean, curious that uh, you have the Matthias Passion in the Netherlands, which is you know generally quite a 
is a Calvinist country, so religion or certainly Christianity tends to be very um, austere and sober. And yet once a year you have this kind of big bonanza of uh, <laughs> celebration almost of Christ, well, the death of Jesus Christ, which is... Um, well, we yeah. celebrate his resurrection, right? His resurrection, I'm sorry, yeah. yes. He doesn't celebrate yeah. his death. Yeah. 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 Um, Don't write in. No, <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a contrast, yeah. If you um, uh, uh, if you take a look at how uh, Dutch reformists, uh, you know, uh, uh, go to church every Sunday, it is indeed very sober, and it is mostly performed in Protestant churches, right? Not so much in Roman Catholic churches. Mm. So yeah, the, it, it 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 is a little bit of a contrast, uh, uh, indeed. So yeah, it's uh, that's in- very interesting. But yeah, it takes really long. So yeah, I think it's um, in that regard, it's uh, it's very Protestant. I think. Yeah, but there are people, quite a few, a lot of people for whom this is really the highlight of the year, and they take their own yeah. scores to the performance, yeah. right? And they, they've got them, the, the notes are all uh, annotated and marked, and they they follow the music. They, they read the score as they listen to the music. So people get really caught up in it, and it's yeah, on television it as well. That, that... It's a huge event. It's always a big media build up in the weeks yeah. beforehand. Yeah, and the the the, the highlight is uh, the performance in Narda. Uh, yeah. um, um, the, the the all the celebrities and all the politicians and all the um, uh, yeah important people go there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's curious to see to see all these people that you know bring their uh, bring their uh, sheet music uh, along with them and they read along and uh, yeah they uh, it, it turns out that there are very a, a lot of numerical um, uh, uh, um, yeah hints and and secrets in that music so right. yeah for a lot of people it's also a hobby to 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 like the da vinci code look for clues right. and look for uh, what does these sequence of notes mean and uh, yeah. yeah what does it refer to yeah, do, I, do, 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 do they include secret references to the cobcraft platies or, or, the, or, the, or the rate of inflation so that must just see that happening must in be Dutch must be there yeah <laughs> so um but yeah the, the, our one one little detail i found uh, uh, um, uh, amusing was that um when when all the apostles uh, uh, deny that they're going to um, uh, betray Jesus, mm. uh, apparently they they sing it eleven times because you know uh, yeah. there's one person that's going to uh, betray Jesus yeah. and uh, it's, it's like watching V.S. to Mole, really, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's it. This is yeah. This explains the the the, the popularity of Vis de Bol as well. That is basically the television <laughs> equivalent of uh, <laughs> of, the of of the Matthias Passion. Yeah, I think <laughs> you, you hit the, you hit the nail on the cross here. <laughs> <laughs> well, none of that uh, really has anything to do with uh, this uh, this week's Opf, uh, sadly. But, but we have got a really good Opf, Opf this week, I think. So uh, yeah, I think so let, too. Let's yeah. get stuck into that. Yeah, uh, the opera for the week comes from uh, Friesland, where a uh, provincial representative was kicked out of his VVD party for spreading fake news on Twitter in the name of a rival party. The Leeuwarder Courant revealed this week that Dirk Pol ran a Twitter account that pretended to be affiliated with the Frisian National Party. In one tweet, the account claimed falsely that FNP was in favor of wolves settling in the northern province. Paul responded with his real account that that was sad for both farmers and their livestock. The FNP uh, reported the fake account to the provincial council and Twitter, but later found out that their favorite day colleague was behind it. Paul was confronted and initially denied, but later admitted that he was in fact the fake news troll. The Favour Day party immediately expelled him from the party. By spreading fake news anonymously, Dirk Paul has crossed the boundary. He has damaged the trust of the people in the provincial council and politics in general, um, the chair of the local Favour Day party told the Leeuwarder Courant. Um, Paul said that he had made the fake news account out of frustration against the wolves and as a kind of joke. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a very strange story. And I also tried to find out how they... Uh, w- what the proof was against him because you know it is a random anonymous account how do you prove yeah. someone is behind it but yeah they didn't really it was never really disclosed how uh, h- how they found out about it so yeah I am curious to know um, yeah w- what the proof actually entails 
Yeah, indeed. But yeah, but a very strange thing to do indeed. Yeah, and of course, wolves are a bit of a sensitive subject in Friesland, doesn't it? The, the Friesians wanted to build a big wolf-proof fence <laughs> on the border with Twente, didn't they? So, so yeah, to they did. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's clearly he, he clearly touched a sore nerve there, um, and he was yeah. personally frustrated with it. And it seems odd to just um, yeah, to uh, I don't know um, voice to vent your frustration with um, with wolves by setting up a fake account for for another political party. Yeah, strange, uh, strange, well. isn't it? Yeah, yeah very. Uh, yeah. Do you yeah. um, speaking of fake accounts? Uh, do you remember the most famous uh, fake Twitter account uh, in recent history? Uh, there's been so many, but uh, what? Uh, which one he's referring to specifically? Uh, the the um, the anonymous Twitter account of Geert Wilders. Oh, oh yes, yeah. It was uh, revealed, or someone found out that uh, uh, Geert Wilders, he has a Twitter account, you know, yeah. it's followed by many thousands of people, but he doesn't follow anyone. So, yeah, he probably, it was always expected that he has a side account. And, yeah, I believe some journalists found it out because uh, uh, he had accidentally tweeted um uh something with his uh with his other account yeah. uh, before he tweeted it with uh, with his official account so they found out that uh, it is probably uh, somehow related and um do you know which account uh Geert Wilders followed with his uh, with his uh, side account um <laughs> i've forgotten but i remember you telling me before it's um uh, let's just say almere has a neighborhood uh, with name with street names referring to these. Uh, oh, was it? Um, uh, oh God! Who, yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, was it? Was it the uh, official Donald Duck account? Or something? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, the 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 Donald Duck um, yeah cartoon, the sort of yeah. uh, weekly weekly cartoon um, magazine. Yeah. Uh, they have all sorts of other um, um, Twitter accounts with their with their uh, uh, characters, yeah. and he followed all of them. And yeah. he also does, followed. Does, does the Dromflucht have its own account? The, the <laughs> no, attraction in the no, Efteling. No, that's... but he did follow the Efteling, <laughs> <laughs> and he followed uh, Dutch porn star uh, Kim Holland. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so, an eclectic mix then of to, yeah, yeah right. a, 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 a really insight into the mind of Kate Builders <laughs> I didn't really need to have but uh, thanks anyway oh. yeah. Yeah, you're welcome yeah but coming back to this uh, Friesian uh, OPEF uh, to, 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 uh, is it fair to say that uh, this guy was a polarizing figure <laughs> <laughs> yes we we need to we need to ignore this joke and move on it is a weird name though I wouldn't have Do, guessed yeah. it was a Friesian name I think yeah, the way he spells Dirk with a U as well. Uh... Yeah. This week, Hugo de Jonge had to fight for his political life after new revelations about his involvement in Seawardgate. Six weeks after Russia invaded Ukraine, the Netherlands has finally appointed a sanction coordinator who hopefully brings his furry friend along. Inflation continues to rise, Brabant suffers from a new wave of organized crime, and we might see the first person moving from Amsterdam to England since Brexit. Hmm. If you had a bad week, then cheer up. It couldn't possibly have been worse than Housing Minister Hugo de Jonge's week. The former health minister has been on the fire ever since the Volkskrant revealed two weeks ago that the CDA politician was in fact involved in Seward Gate. At the start of the pandemic, the health ministry bought 40 million face masks for 100 million euros from a charity organization founded by media and Twitter personality Seward van Linde, who was later revealed to have earned 9 million euros despite endlessly claiming to do it for nothing. So, he in uh, fact yeah, invented not- his own phrase. Need to, to, to say that he was doing it for nothing. Well, it was pr- for all need. Yeah, it, <laughs> I, I never heard of it, and I still yeah. think it's a weird sentence. But it, it apparently is pretty common to say in um, uh, Dutch Reformed circles. Okay. So it is a, a phrase from 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 the Bible, apparently. Right. So yeah, that that makes it even more. Bizarre, um, yeah. Bizarre, yeah. There, there, there's going to um, be a passion play about this in years to come, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> It'll yeah, go on for I'm three looking, hours. I'm and, looking and for mainly s- feature Hugo de Jonge standing in, um, <laughs> yeah. in Parliament, making that kind of uh, ex- yeah, bewildered face that, uh, that yeah. he made during the debate. <laughs> the, the Hugo passion. <laughs> um, I'm much, I would go to that, I think, and I wonder who would, uh, who would play Siret in this uh, in this play. Um, I think that's our... Uh, so that's our title, yeah. Yeah, that's our title over there. Um, The face masks also turned out to be of insufficient quality, so the vast majority were never used. The younger always denied any involvement in the deal, but the Volkskrant revealed the minister did in fact 
push public officials to make the deal happen after the responsible department of the ministry had initially declined von Linden's offer. In response, the Jonge repeated that he wasn't involved in the deal and said the truth was different from the newspaper's suggestions, but couldn't go into further details because of an ongoing investigation by Deloitte. The Trade Kamer didn't want to wait for the outcome of the report and demanded a debate about the revelations, and in an unprecedented move, Housing Minister de Jonge offered to be present, even though he isn't constitutionally responsible for the Health Ministry anymore. So yeah, that was a, um, a unique um, a moment in parliamentary history. A minister that isn't responsible for the thing debated was present at the debate, and um, yeah, actually he, he was never responsible for uh, the buying of face masks uh, in the first place. So yeah, it's uh, it, it made it constitutionally a strange debate. But in advance of this debate, he also um, finally disclosed his, his WhatsApp history. <laughs> Yeah, in an effort to be transparent, the health ministry sent uh, hundreds of pages of WhatsApp messages and emails about Van Linde to the Tweede Kamer, including a number from de Jonge himself. These confirmed that Seward initially approached Hugo de Jonge's political aide with his plan, who sent him to the uh, LCH, the uh, Landelijk Consortium uh, Hulpmiddelen, that's sort of the yeah, emergency uh, department that was responsible for uh, buying medical uh, supplies and protective gear. Um, yeah, yeah, it was set up at the start of the uh, the pandemic. Yeah, um, and, and of course, it, um, it yeah it, it was very skeptical about uh, the masks that Sievert was proposing to buy. Yeah, that's true. And Sievert complained to the aide that the deal was uh, about to fail, and then the aide promised to see what he could do. And also around that time, uh, the disclosed communication showed that the younger contacted several other public officials with requests to reconsider the deal. And yeah, he also periodically asked about the progress in in in, in later times. And yeah, it, it, these these uh, disclosed messages were were kind of revealing, weren't they? Uh, yeah. Hugo de Jonge said, for example, about uh, Seward, uh, it's better to have him uh, pissing in outside the tent than yeah. from outside pissing in the tent. Um, and, and a public official also said, uh, yeah, at the request of Hugo, I started cuddling up with Seward and it's almost a daily task. Yeah, um, yeah so... Uh, There's it, some very macabre images coming out of this uh, this whole saga. Yeah, and yeah. is that cuddling uh, uh, happening while he's pissing out or pissing yeah. in? And is he wearing we, a mask at the time? Is he wearing well? a mask at yeah. the time? Yeah. Um, yeah, and opposition MPs concluded uh, from these messages that uh, yeah, this is proof that the younger was in fact in reality involved in the deal, uh, or at least pushed to make the deal happen. Um, and Hugo de Jonge himself says that they showed that he was never directly involved. Uh, he wasn't at the negotiation table, as you would say. Um, but the Tweede Kamer was at the debate very frustrated that uh, Deputy Minister Cory Helder couldn't answer all the MPs' questions. And that was because the investigation into the deal by Deloitte is still ongoing. Um, and someone asked, uh, I believe it was Jesse Klaver asked, well, well if, if you couldn't disclose any information, then why uh, release these, uh, these WhatsApp, um, uh, uh, WhatsApp messages? And then she re responded, yeah, this was done at the request of Hugo de Jonge himself. And that annoyed MPs even more because they've been asking about this information for months. They have a constitutional right to receive this information uh, if they request it and they don't get it. Uh, uh, but if Hugo de Jonge decides that uh, he wants to release it, all of a the sudden they uh, they are handed it to the to the Tweede Kamer. So yeah, that was they were very angry at that. And yeah, it was very strange that you know people were accused of saying basically that Hugo de Jonge was going being given carte blanche to like rewrite the constitution effectively. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because. I mean, it is it is logical that they they couldn't disclose all the information because you know there is an investigation ongoing, but yeah, then then to cherry pick bits and pieces of information from this set of of documents and and disclose it, uh, yeah, only twenty four hours before this debate is is really strange and. Uh, the debate really turned chaotic uh, when Helder uh, also said that the disclosed emails were personally selected by the Jonge himself, and then the, <laughs> the debate had to be suspended because you know what 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 is going on here, right? Yeah. Um, it, it was later clarified that. Uh, all the information that was disclosed before the debate was everything that the Jonge had handed over to the investigation team. So there wasn't any selection made uh, in that regard. Yeah. But yeah, it's um, uh, it, 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 
I I think I joked on Twitter that I I knew Hindenburg landings that were more orderly than uh, uh, than this debate, and yeah, that was it, it was really chaotic, and yeah. it was yeah, yeah. And in the midst of all this uh, chaos and disorder, there was one absolutely delicious detail um, which kind of summed up the whole um, and sort of cat hand approach to it, which is um, uh, that um, uh, Corey Helder managed to inadvertently disclose who could his email address. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was that. It, it, it was it was such a fuck up. It was unbelievable <laughs> because she read um, it out in the chamber. So I'm, I'm guessing that Hugo has changed his email address in the meantime. I, I think he has done it by now, but he kept giving us updates on how many emails he had received during the debate. So yeah, it's. Uh, I have to say, it wasn't even that many. Uh, at some point, he mm. said he only had received thirty. I thought it would have been much more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, while all this. Opf was going on before the debate. It was also disclosed that Hugo de Jonge had used his personal email address to uh, receive uh, official uh, ministry reports and documents. Uh, that isn't forbidden, but you know it's highly. Uh, it's advised. not reform. Really. No, it's uh, it, it's highly advised not to do that. Um, he said, "Yeah, I did it because you know." Uh, the 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 ministry's accounts, the official ministry's accounts, are very safe, but that also means they are very impractical. Impractical. They they keep asking to renew your 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 uh, your passwords, and every time you you fill it in incorrectly, you have to wait f- five or ten minutes. So, um, yeah, that was why he asked to do it. But uh, yeah, it's um, it was a lot of lot of lot of bad news for for Hugo de Jonge uh, during the week, right? Yeah, definitely. So, what was yeah. his line of defence uh, during this debate? Yeah, he, he, he did acknowledge that he should have been more open about his role in the deal and he uh, should have admitted that he had direct contact with Van Linde himself. Uh, in total, de Jonge apologized 20 times, uh, according to a count done by NRC. Um, but he did maintain that he wasn't involved in the deal in the sense that he was at the negotiation table. Uh, but he did admit that he contributed to the confusion by not being clear about the extent of his involvement. He said at the time everyone was trying very hard to solve the face mask shortages and that the ministry was looking into every offer they got, uh, but if he would have known Sheeret was going to profit so much from the deal, they would never have accepted it. Um, this wasn't enough for the opposition, though. Labour put a motion of no confidence to the vote. It didn't pass with 52 uh, votes in favour, uh, but it wasn't. Uh, this wasn't enough to send the minister home. But it is clear that the young is very damaged, and uh, yeah, this is even even before the investigation is concluded. So yeah, it's um, yeah. This is definitely not the end of it. No, not a good day for Hugo de Jonge at all. But the, the whole thing was just really a bizarre setup, wasn't it? Because, I mean, here we had Hugo de Jonge, who invited himself to a parliamentary debate as a yeah. minister. That was the first weird thing. Even though he wasn't the minister responsible for buying the masks. And on top of that, he insisted at the time that he hadn't been the minister responsible um, during the whole, at the start of the pandemic, when the masks were actually being bought. Um, so, you know, on the face of it, he was getting involved in a debate about uh, a deal he had nothing to do with, even though the messages that came out made clear that he had his fingers all over it. In fact, I think he must be cursing himself that he didn't uh, um, try and buy better quality protective gloves to hide his involvement rather than the masks. <laughs> to hide um, his face And of course, yeah. the masks themselves, which were bought by Siva Verlinden, who said he was doing it in a, in a non-profit deal, but actually set up a company that uh, netted him and his two colleagues 20 million euros. And he bought in 100, was it 100 million? No, 40 million face masks for 100 yeah. million euros, of which I think about 80% have never been used. No, no, yeah. yeah. Because they were of insufficient quality, insufficient which was quality, only which, which was which only determined bo- after uh, the things were bought, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Um, it is a strange story, but you know, in light of 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 what was going on back then, um, yeah, uh, this was such a popular initiative, and everyone was excited about it. I remember it yeah. very clearly, and um, I, I think Hugo de Jonge thought, you know, everyone is excited about this. Uh, everyone wants to see Sigurd van Linde, uh, yeah, be the hero because yeah, you know, that was how everyone regarded him, and he just didn't want to be the guy who. Uh, would have um, fired the hero, right? And would yeah, say yeah, no that's to true. Him yeah, and if, I think uh, Hugo was d- desperate for positive headlines and uh, yeah. a deal or, or deal or development in the start of the pandemic, where everyone was, you know, obviously very anxious about uh, 
the fact that uh, you know this, the, this virus had just arrived and we didn't have any proper protection against it. Um, and uh, he wanted to, something that made him look decisive, look like he was in control, yeah. and like you say, created a hero or, or him and Sievert as uh, as the heroes of the moment. And it all horribly backfired because I think he has caved into the pressure from Sievert, who just spent a couple of weeks tweeting like mad, you know, yeah. uh, about how how terribly the government was handling the pandemic. And uh, yeah, basically, um, yeah, and and then cashed in at his leisure. That's right. And um, I think I'm still convinced that um, nothing would have we, we, we would have celebrated uh, Hugo de Jonge if if everything turned have turned out to be fine. If Sigurd van Linde would have been this wouldn't have been the scam artist and these face masks would even if these face masks would have been of, of good quality, then then I think uh, we, we all wouldn't have been so mad right now. Um, but yeah, it went horribly wrong, and um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's a mess. Which uh, yeah, it's a mess, which, which and also in the bottom of. And also an interesting moment in the debate was when Peter Omzicht was was speaking. Mm. Peter Omzicht was, of course, a, a CDA MP, and at the time he was also uh, very much involved in you know getting uh, uh, getting rid of all the shortages. Uh, uh, there were dozens of, of initiatives and proposals coming in and they were all sent to the to the health ministry he, he was the one who who pitched a serious plan to mark rutte and to hugo de jonge so he was questions about his involvement because um yeah some people suspect that uh yeah this deal would never have gone through if if uh peter omzicht wouldn't have supported it but it, it was kind of strange to see that it, it were mostly the coalition parties that were asking peter omzicht about this mm. who were you know remained silent while um, uh, Hugo de Jonge was speaking. So yeah, that was that was also a very telling contrast, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Customs officials have blocked the export of twelve yachts belonging to sanctioned Russians. Another two boats, which are docked for maintenance, will not be allowed to leave. Finance Minister Fokker Hoekstra told MPs in a briefing. Rather like the vaccine program, the seizure of Russian assets got off to a slow start and was uh, bogged down by bureaucracy for a long time, but it does appear to be picking up speed. Hookstra said 516 million euros worth of goods and contracts had now been seized, most of it from trust offices. You may remember a few weeks ago the government said trust offices don't hold any assets so they couldn't be <laughs> sanctioned, but it seems that they've uh, gone back and had another look now. Another 155 million euros of transactions has also been blocked, but it's still a fraction of the 80 billion which the Financiële Dagblad recently calculated was owned by Russians in the Netherlands, more than half of which belonged to people on the sanctions list. Yeah, but, but we finally have an enforcer to cut through the red tape. Everything is going to be fine. We are saved. Yes, yes, because Steph Block has been reactivated, called back into action. The, yes. the Brexit Muppet handler and scourge of failed states around the world has been named as the government's sanctions sir, I suppose you have to call him. <laughs> Block has been Minister for Justice, Home Affairs, Foreign Affairs, Economic Affairs and Housing in his career. Basically, he gets a job whenever somebody resigns. Yeah. Um, and he will coordinate the operation to identify and freeze and terminate assets in a way that only Steph Block can. Yeah, we have this 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 pool of of jobless enforcers, right? Mm. Um, uh, uh, we have uh, Piet Hein Donner, we have uh, Johan Remkes, uh, uh, Henk Kamp, we have Stef Blok, Herman Zinkwilling. <laughs> um, you know, every time someone quits a job, they they just pick. One of these guys, uh, they're kind of the, yeah, yeah, they're, they're kind of the troubleshooters. They're the guys sent in to clean up, aren't they? They're, they're kind of like they're kind of like the you know, Dutch administrative A team. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's what they are. They are very old, just like the real A team, and less guns, I, I assume. But uh, yeah, that's what that's what they are. This is a perfect. This is a perfect perfect uh, description. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If, you, if you've got a problem that no one else can fix, you can you can hire them. Yeah. <laughs> you can hire them, yeah. Um, uh, do you know how much uh, uh, Steph Block will earn with this uh, with this job? I'm trying to think, but probably roughly one Russian yacht. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, much less, much less. Okay, it's only fifteen thousand euros. So oh, he, okay. he can he can uh, only buy one uh, uh, toilet roll holder yeah. from Putin's <laughs> palace. Um, so, what is the latest on the Ukrainian refugees? 
Yeah, uh, we've now got around 22,000 Ukrainians have arrived in the Netherlands uh, since the war started six weeks ago. Uh, Flickling Neverk said the uh, rate uh, that they're arriving at is, is starting to slow down, um, and there are 32,000 beds available in total, so there is space for them, and the local authorities have been ordered to find 50,000 in the kind of medium term. Um, and not all refugees are going into council accommodation, because uh, some individuals are uh, putting them up in their own homes. Uh, there have been some reports of Ukrainians starting to return to the country in recent days as uh, Ukraine pushes back against Russia, but Flutling Avec says there's very little evidence of it here. Uh, most of the people crossing the border into, uh, are based in Poland and thought to be just going across for short trips to visit family or pick up belongings or whatever, so they're not going back long term. The Dutch government says it's making plans to receive as many as 150,000 refugees if the war drags on. Um, there's also been some efforts uh, to speed up the process of uh, settling Ukrainians. Uh, so they've, since April the 1st, they've been able to uh, apply for work without a permit um, so that they can effectively uh, look for jobs on the same terms as people from the EU or the European Economic Region. Hmm. The banking associations helping them set up accounts. And uh, if they, you haven't got a bank account because, for example, you fled and without your passport, um, then they're being given prepaid cards uh, to use in shops. And also the first dedicated schools for Ukrainian children have opened this week in five cities including Amstelveen, Arnhem and Eindhoven uh, one third of the lessons are in Dutch to help the children learn the language but there's also about a third of their school time is dedicated to sports and mental well-being hmm. because obviously these kids have yeah, they're left home in a hurry in the middle of a war and they're quite traumatised by the whole experience yeah. and some classes also have got digital link-ups with Ukrainian schools uh, which allows them to preserve the link to their homeland. Yeah, so yeah, that's uh, uh, um, a nice initiative uh, by these schools, I think, um, um, and uh, also spending time on on, on mental well being. And uh, yeah, that uh, that seems like a really good idea. Yeah, it's really important. It's, it's kind of uh, refreshing, I think, to see this kind of more proactive um, yeah, approach to integration and actually you know, try and making a concerted effort to to help people settle in rather than just kind of leaving them to their own devices, which has been the yeah, day particularly their, their attitude to yeah. refugees. They don't really, we don't really want you here in the first place. And if you really have to come, then we'll just give you some money to find your own language classes, and then you know you can some scammer will come along and take it off you, and you yeah. will learn you what you won't learn Dutch at all, and, and then you'll have to sit an exam which you fail, and we send you home. <laughs> so thankfully, they're being a bit more positive in their attitude, and let's hope this continues. MPs have voted in favour of plans to set tighter limits on political donations, including a €100,000 ceiling on gifts from private individuals. MPs have also voted to publish the names of all donors, giving over €1,000 to a party. The current limit is set at €4,500. Foreign donations will be banned altogether. Many parties recently received sizable donations. One businessman donated 1 million euros to Deza's assessor during the last campaign, as well as a 350,000 euros donation to the Partij voor de Dieren. CDA received 1.2 million from a single donor and PVV and FVD are both known to regularly receive substantial donations from abroad. The proposal to set a limit on donations was drawn up by independent MP Pieter Omzicht and SP MP Renske Leijten. They say uh, the size of some donations is damaging the political system and makes potential conflicts of interest more likely. The proposal was originally expected to fail but passed anyway thanks to a last-minute change of mind by Deze's assessor. An amendment to set the cap at 25,000 wasn't accepted. Hmm. So... Uh... <coughs> Yeah, and uh, in other political news, there's a surprising development in uh, Rotterdam's formation uh, after the local elections, right? Yeah, surprising to, to say the least, because right-wing populist party Leef by Rotterdam is in talks to lead a four-way coalition with DENK, a party whose support is concentrated in the city's Turkish minority. Uh, this uh, yeah, quite unorthodox partnership would also include the two liberal parties, Favor Day and Desasasester. Uh, the four parties met for the first time last Thursday. Um, former Social Affairs Minister Wouter Koolmees, who you can probably remember from his role in uh, uh, the formation of Rutte's fourth cabinet, uh, has been appointed as informateur and he will lead the exploratory round of negotiations. Uh, Leefbaar is the party that was founded by anti-Islam politician Pim Fortuyn and it increased its vote share to 20% in last month's, election, uh, in last month's municipal elections. Um, yeah, so they remained the largest party there. The proposed alliance with Denk, which has a high proportion of Muslim voters uh, and also has 
come under scrutiny for its links with the Turkish government. Yeah, it really shows Leifbaar's determination uh, to avoid the re- repeat of 2018 when it was shut out of the uh, city government. Leifbaar currently has uh, 10 seats, while the VVD, D66 and Denk have 6, 5 and 4 respectively. Um, and that gives the four parties a working majority on the 45-seat council. Yeah. Yeah, but I think uh, until the election, this really would have been this combination really would have been kind of unthinkable or undinkable, I suppose you should, you <laughs> say. But, uh, yeah, it shows how quick, yeah, how, how kind of events force the hand of um, yeah the, 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 the players in the political uh, scene. The, the name for this coalition should be Undenkbaar Rotterdam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, it's very strange. Interesting to. Uh, uh, actually, I'm quite hopeful about it. If you, if we could finally have these these sort of parties that we, we would never have expected to cooperate would mm. find a way to do that, then, yeah, it might leave the door open to, um, yeah, better cooperations in national politics between these uh, types of parties. And that can also, can only lead, I think, to, uh, yeah, better understanding and uh, perhaps a little bit less polarized uh, political climates. Yeah, perhaps if parties actually have to take responsibility rather than just uh, stand on the sidelines uh, shouting. Yeah, the other scenario is, of course, that this is going to get to go horribly wrong <laughs> and lonely, <laughs> lead to 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 a more toxic political climate. But uh, yeah, we will see how this will turn out. I'm qu- I'm quite hopeful about it. I have yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should say that the PFDR, who I think won five seats on the council as well, but aren't happy with it. They, they, they say it's a very a very conservative con- combination. Um, uh, whereas they, they yeah. are Rotterdam kind of voted for progressive parties but uh this is Esther is the only one that quartet you could really call a progressive party i'm not yeah. going to stink also split away from the pay for DR, so they're probably a bit sore about that too <laughs> that's right i almost forgot about that yeah but it's mm. true yeah you may have missed the chance to give two hundred thousand euros to your favorite political party but don't despair you can still influence this podcast and you can do it for as little as a dollar or a euro a month and you can remain totally anonymous if you want to. <laughs> we'll grant total anonymity and any backhanders you wish to um, to give us will keep very quiet about. Uh, so it's that time when we take a minute to say thank you to all our sponsors who keep us going and give a shout out to our latest backers. And this week we welcome three new patrons, uh, Radhika Jagtap, Colin Brown and Ines Martinez. Uh, so thank you to all of you very much for your support. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. Yeah. Colin has a very interesting question for us. He says, um, who are the most underrated politicians in the Netherlands today? And uh, he says he's, he's thinking of uh, people who are effective and get things done, but don't get an awful lot of credit for it. So the opposite of Hugo de Jonge, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if he would have asked um, uh, uh, who are the most yeah. overrated politicians, that would have been a much <laughs> easier question to answer, I think, uh, because this question assumes that uh, we are following politics mm. closely enough to sort of determine which politicians are underrated and not doing a good job. But uh, I do think that there are plenty of politicians uh, that, you know, work behind the scenes, basically, very hard, very effectively. You can call them the backbenchers uh, of, uh, of of Dutch political parties. I think there are plenty of them. Uh, Rulof Bischop comes to mind, for example. He's the number two of the SGP. I think he he's the most present at, uh, of all MPs mm. at debates. So, yeah, he's a very hard working uh, politician Pieter Ginwis who uh, is a ChristenUnie MP also one of the backbenchers he's also a very effective politician I think as well there is a website called the uh, politiekeindex.nl Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. And it sort of ranks all the MPs based on, on their performances, uh, their presence at debates, how many questions they ask MPs, and also how visible they are, for example, on Twitter or on uh, public occasions. Uh, yeah, and they ranked, for example, Caroline van der Plas as the number one MP. Uh, she's, of yeah. course, very visible. I wouldn't necessarily say that she's... I think she is one of the mo- more yeah. overrated politicians. <laughs> you don't um, I have to admit. Certainly. No, yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, but Stefan van Baarle, a Denk MP, mm. is number two on that list. Uh, yeah, I think he's also he's also a good debater. And yeah, I don't think he necessarily gets things done in the sense that he doesn't get very much support for his motions or amendments. But he's a yeah. very good debater. But there are plenty of, of backbenchers... Uh, 
to choose from, I think. I can't pretend to uh, follow these things in minute detail, but uh, but I would give a shout out to uh, uh, Henry Bontebol as well. The, yeah, he, he was brought in when um, Peter Omsicht left the party. He 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 took his uh, he took the seat that was vacated by Omsicht because, of course, as well as uh, quitting the party, Omsicht also took sick leave from Parliament, which meant rather bizarrely that although yeah. Omsicht was no longer CDI MP, the CDI were entitled to fill his seat while he was while he was away. And they 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 gave, they gave the seat to Henry Bontebal, who did a lot of work kind of behind the scenes. Particularly, this was in the middle of last year, uh, right in the middle of the coalition talks, and he was actually instrumental in putting together the um, the document that Khedjan uh, Zeh has left on the train, which is kind of the breakthrough <laughs> to bring the Christian Union back into the fold uh, with Desmond Zester. Yeah, he is uh, also one of these typical MPs, these backbenchers that you. You know, if you are superficially following politics, you will never hear uh, from him. But he is a really someone who who knows all his dossiers and read them to the to the last uh, letter. And yeah. yeah, and he's very well spoken of by his colleagues. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think those are good examples of underrated politicians, um, and underrated in the sense, yeah, that that these people do not get as much attention as they deserve for their hard work yeah, and for their indeed. good work. Yeah. yeah, and also in the context of the, of the Tuslagen affair, you have to say that you know, Renske Leiten, the Socialist Party, who did get quite a lot of media attention uh, for her work with Peter Omzicht to bring the whole saga to light and collate all the victim stories. But weirdly, the Socialist Party just keep losing support in the polls. Uh, so they get absolutely no credit yeah. with the voters. Yeah, yeah I, I think it must be very frustrating, kind of disheartening, because you know, lots of you see lots of MPs, like for example, parties like Forum, uh, scoring easy points by just uh, making big noise about stuff on social media that doesn't actually really matter. Whereas when they actually do lots of diligent digging hard work to actually speak up for ordinary people no one really pays attention yeah yeah that's uh it must be very frustrating uh for her and yeah. for the sp i think so colin i hope that's uh given you a bit of an answer to your question um we also had a question from uh, ines uh, martinez who, uh, who's asking about uh, king's day which is coming up at the end of this month uh on the 27th of april not the 30th of april for anyone who's still using their out of date by <laughs> and this year the king is going to maastricht so she asks should i go to maastricht to celebrate king's day and see the king which I think is kind of a two-part question. One is, is it worth it going to Maastricht? And the other one is, is it worth seeing the king on King's Day? Maastricht is a nice city. I just would, I, I would go to there at any other yeah. time than King's Day. <laughs> and to, is it worth seeing the king on King's Day? I would say no. no. Because, you know, what is the reality of that? You, you will stand on the side of a street. You will be waiting for hours for, for the king to pass. You will see him one minute and then you have to go away. And yeah, you have to stand between all these people <laughs> wearing orange um, yeah inflatable uh, wooden shoes on their hats and stuff like that these people who get like eight in the morning and wear very big orange hats so you can't see over their heads yeah <laughs> exactly yeah and you have to be there at eight o'clock otherwise you can't see anything so no i wouldn't go there contrary to popular belief king's day has nothing to do with the actual king <laughs> um <laughs> it's just uh it's just a day to to be outside and to sell your the the junk on your attic in a park and uh, yeah. drink a lot of beer that's uh, that's basically that's right. what the yeah. holiday and then is go out at three in the morning to clear up the streets so that on the day after king's day everything yeah. looks spotless again yeah yeah, and you have to claim your the spot where you are selling your stuff days in advance. Otherwise, you won't get a, a nice spot. Yeah, so thumbs down for going to Maastricht on King's Day. I kind of think it's a, although you may not see much of the king yourself. Often the, the city where he, that he visits often puts on a few events and it's quite a festive atmosphere. So if it's near if it's near to where you live, we don't know where Ines lives. I would say go. Oh but yeah, that's say, right. Yeah. Don't go out of your way to go all the way to Maastricht if you're setting out from Groningen. It's not no. worth it. We also had a, um, a message from one of our long-standing uh, patrons, uh, Vea Lockness, who also asked a question which we'll discuss in our next podcast, uh, I think, because this is really interesting, but also pointed out um, we were talking about Norwegian Railways a couple of weeks ago and, and that they had a problematic name of Venice yeah. Bay. Uh, Vea just uh, contrasts to point out that, uh, in fact, they've changed their name recently to Vai. Yeah, so oh, they're, no, they? they're no longer named after the Dutch Nazis. And uh, they thought it was very important <laughs> to mention this. So so we stand correct. All traditions are taken away from us. I also pointed out that um, this is probably why the Norwegian trains no longer run on time. <laughs> If you'd like to become a sponsor of the podcast, log on to www.patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutchnewsnl. Yeah, leave your cash-filled brown envelopes there, please. Cash-filled brown envelopes that are going down in value because inflation has hit its highest level since 1976. 
The statistics agency, CBS, says the 9.7% annual rise was driven by a 157% increase in fuel prices since last year. Wow. Food prices have also gone up by 6.2% and home renovations are also 10% more expensive. The European Union's measure, which excludes rental housing costs, was even higher at almost 12%. Wages have also gone up, but they're unable to keep pace. According to CBS, workers' pay went up by 2.4% in the first quarter of the year, but inflation rose by 7.4% and that's the biggest gap between wages and prices for nearly 50 years. And uh, yeah, the economic uncertainty is hitting the housing market too, right? Yeah, it would appear so. Um, House prices actually dropped in the first quarter of 2022 by around 2%, and that's the first dip in nearly 10 years. Now, they did still rise by 13% year on year, which is uh, pretty high, but down from 21% in January. The Estate Agents Association, NFAM, said there were signs that buyers are becoming more cautious perhaps because of the war in Ukraine, perhaps because everyone's expecting interest rates to carry on rising, or just perhaps because the market is overheating and due correction. I mean, hmm. the average price for a detached house now is €428,000, yeah. uh, and apartments will cost you more, a more modest 362000 The NVM said it doesn't see this as a turning point because uh, demand is continuing to outstrip supply, and the war is likely to make it harder to procure building materials, so the shortage of new homes is only going to get worse. Thieves have made off with 1,600 kilos of cheese worth 21,000 euros from a dairy farm in Feyenoord in Noord-Brabant, in the latest in a series of cheese heists in the Netherlands. Almost all the cheese from the farm storage was taken, and uh, that has set the farm back some six months in income. Theo Dekker, chairman of dairy farm organization Bon van Boerderij Zuivelbreiders, <laughs> that was a name I would never expect to, <laughs> to say. Uh, suspect that this is uh, not just a simple theft, but organized crime. These gangs are not afraid to use violence, he told RTL News. The thieves usually visit the farm shop a couple of days before to get the lay of the land, so they know exactly what to take. The dairy organization has had reports of cheeses ending up in Russia, where no Dutch dairy can be bought because of the economic sanctions. The stolen cheeses carry a unique code, which means it is unlikely they are being sold in the Netherlands. Cheese farmers were plagued by a string of cheese thefts a couple of years ago as well, and this week's heist might be a sign of things to come. Decker's organization is also keeping an eye on online cheese sellers. A batch of stolen cheese was offered for sale on Marktplatz, that's the uh, Dutch equivalent of eBay, and it was traced within 15 minutes, but those thieves were amateurs and cheese farmers are now up against something bigger. Decker fears. So yeah, yeah, it's a new type of organized crime uh, in North Brabant. Um, yeah, the the province is already plagued with drug crimes, yeah. and now there's also <laughs> a pandemic of cheese heist. Which yeah. has been going on, as you just said, for a couple of years. It's not brand new, but uh, yeah, it seems to be getting worse. Um, and if these cheeses are going to Russia, then I guess this is another job for Steph Block, really, <laughs> isn't it? He needs to seize the cheeses and roll them back to the Netherlands. He, he should be the cheese seize coordinator. Yeah. Yeah, the cheese seizure sir. <laughs> okay. I also wondered if uh, the, the Russians aren't stealing these big cheese wheels to kind of put on their trucks, given what terrible state their their logistics are in. Maybe <laughs> they'd be more effective than the rubber tires that keep blowing because they're substitute wheels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would pay to see that happening. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the farmers also said on uh, told Omul Brabant, he said these thefts left a bad taste in the mouth, but uh, <laughs> not for the thieves. They didn't. <laughs> The lead sponsor of the men's national football team, ING Bank, is boycotting this year's World Cup in Qatar. The bank said it won't be sending a delegation or handing out complimentary tickets or running adverts during the tournament, but its name will still be emblazoned across the team's shirts, so we'll still see him on television. ING said it was concerned about Qatar's human rights record, and other Dutch sponsors have followed suit, including Albert Heijn, KPN and the Dutch National Lottery. The Football Association Canfe Bay said it respected Ainge's decision, but its own stance was unchanged. As a participant in the World Cup, the Canfe Bay has a different role and responsibility from our commercial partners, said a spokesman. I mean, what kind of half-bacon statement is that, right? Uh, exactly. <laughs> who cares about that delegation? Nobody's paying attention to that. The right. 1.5 billion people that are watching it are, are, are looking at the shirts of these players, right? Exactly. So... Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is... Uh, no, no um, it's complete hogwash, isn't it? It's, it's, it's classic sports washing. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. And there's also some bad news for Ronald de Boer. 
right? Well, that is the bad news for Ronald de Boer, really, because he, he spent uh, last week uh, on Yenek uh, trying to excuse uh, or, or, or kind of play down the reports of human rights abuses uh, in the course of building the stadiums uh, in Qatar at great speed and using immigrant labour, uh, which then has the unfortunate habit of, of dying on sight. And uh, yeah, the, the De Boer brothers just not having a good time. Frank took all the flack for Orania being knocked out of Euro 2020 uh, last summer by the Czech Republic. And now Ronald's under fire for his uh, yeah, rather ham-fisted uh, appearance on Yenek uh, last week. Uh, he's an ambassador for the tournament in Qatar, and he disputed the findings published by The Guardian that 6,500 workers had died during the construction of the stadiums and other infrastructure. He said that these numbers had just been uh, arrived at by adding up all the people who've died over 10 years, which is sort of how death tolls work, I thought. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, 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 including yeah. things like teachers and cleaners uh, who died in the, some tangential way. Uh, related to the stadium building, yeah, he said, uh, "Yeah, all these all these deaths are just put on a on a huge uh, pile of." Um, yeah, they've all been piled up together. Yeah, they've all been piled up together, and we're like, "Yeah, it's a, it it is in fact a huge pile of yeah. death slaves." Uh, I mean, yes. yeah, that's that's the whole point. And he also said, "Yeah, the, these numbers are incomplete," and we're like, "Yeah, that's right," because yeah, uh, we missed the death numbers of uh, of people from the Philippines and uh, from um, Kenya, for example. Yeah, that's probably yeah. even higher than the sixty five hundred. Um, but okay and someone else who was critical of uh, Qatar was uh, Louis van Gaal um, yeah but he had some bad news this week right yeah he had some other news yeah, Louis van Gaal of course uh, described the whole decision to host the World Cup in Qatar as ridiculous yeah. but uh, this week he revealed that he's being treated for prostate cancer he's diagnosed in 2020 and is being undergoing radiotherapy but he didn't tell his players because he didn't want to disrupt their World Cup preparations hmm. He's had about 25 uh, treatments, and sometimes he's had to slip out of training camps to go to hospital. Only a handful of people in his inner circle knew about his condition, which he revealed uh, in Humberto Dunn's uh, talk show uh, in the course of promoting his, his new book. Yeah, Van Gaal uh, is uh, no stranger to cancer treatment. His first wife, Fernanda, died of pancreatic cancer in 1994, uh, while Van Gaal was coaching Ajax, and he got some pretty hateful flack about it at the time from mm. uh, opposing fans. The Canfe Bay also confirmed this week that Ronald Koeman will take over from Van Gaal when the World Cup ends in December. And uh, on the subject of uh, managerial moves, uh, what's the news on uh, Erik ten Hag? Yeah, it looks increasingly likely that Erik ten Hag is... Uh, going to be heading across the, the North Sea to uh, take the reins at Manchester United. Hmm. Uh, and officially, the English club say uh, no decision has been taken and they're still choosing from a shortlist of four candidates. Uh, another contender is uh, Paris Saint-Germain coach Maurizio Pochettino. But sources close to Ten Hag have said he impressed in his interview, uh, not least because it'll only cost £1.7 to buy him out of his contract, compared <laughs> to, I think, about £15 million for Pochettino. And negotiations to compensate Ajax for the last year of his contract there have already begun, apparently. Uh, Louis van Gaal, uh, once again, um, he's not been quiet this week. He had a less than warm relationship with Manchester United, of course. His last job was uh, at United, uh, where he was eventually sacked after his... Uh, uh, poor performances on the pitch he weighed into the row and he said uh, Manchester United is a commercial club that's difficult for a coach Ten Hag will be better off choosing a football club all right yeah all football clubs are known to be uh, uncommercial right um, yeah um, and uh, what's been happening on the pitch yeah it's uh, Champions League quarterfinals this week uh, but Ajax aren't involved in that anymore uh, but there are still two Dutch clubs in the Europa Conference League Feyenoord conceded a very late equaliser in a chaotic match um, in De Kaup against Slavia Prague. That finished 3-3, so the Czech side have a slight advantage going into next week's second leg. And PSV Eindhoven are better placed uh, following a goalless draw in England against Leicester City. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us now on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek, uh, I'm Paul Peters, and we will not be back next week, or will we? No, we won't. No, no, we won't. We'll be back uh, in two weeks. On the 22nd of April. Are you still there? Hello?
Sorry, I was, I was on mute. Um, <laughs> well, I was on 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 mute, on mute, uh, <laughs> on on mute, mute. 